0: What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or a review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Ron Carucci, and we're going to talk about organizational honesty, why some organizations fail while others thrive. Ron's the co-founder and managing partner at Nevalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. He has a 30-year track record of helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 100s, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth, he has worked in more than 25 countries across four continents. In addition to being a regular contributor to HBR and Forbes, he's been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider. MSNBC, Business Week, Smart Business and Thought Leaders. And something really exciting, something you're not going to want to miss. He's got a new book coming out in the spring. It's called To Be Honest: Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice and Purpose. It is available for pre-order right now on Amazon. That'll be linked in the podcast description. Th- th- this is this is the latest of many, many books by this incredible incredible Leader, you're going to be blown away by this podcast, Ron. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Uh,
1: Danny, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all your good work on the world, too.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. So, tell me about this book. Tell me the, the book's gonna be released later this spring. Um, it's gonna be quite a bit around the conversation of what we're gonna to have today and these principles. Do I got that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, um, I'm, I'm this is an exciting one. This was a, a tough one, it took a, a bunch of years to do the research and write it. Um, and uh, you know I didn't go into the research for this book looking for uh, looking for information about honesty. We, um, we, we have some pretty sophisticated artificial intelligence technology that we get to use for our research. We had 3,200 interviews from the last 15 years that we were going to examine <clears throat> and we decided let's, let, let's just see how intelligent the artificial intelligence really is. let's see if it can tell us what we should be looking for rather than giving it a hypothesis. Um, so we fed it all this tetrabytes of data. And the the researchers came back and said, "You got some pretty interesting drill sites here, where you're seeing correlations and statistical models starting to form." And one of them was on original honesty, meaning could we predict under what conditions people would tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve purpose, versus under what conditions they would lie, cheat, and serve their interests first? Um, and sure enough, we were able to statistically correlate, you know, with with I think some pretty interesting accuracy the conditions organizations unwittingly create that encourage otherwise really honest people to do not great things. Um, I I think part of me, Danny had grown so tired of, I mean, we all, none of us need to hear any more Wells Fargo stories or Volkswagen stories or Boeing stories. We all know how that those go, but I'm tired of the, it was a few bad apples or, or it was the culture, you know, these really lame, messy, not particularly robust explanations uh they they barely even qualified as excuses Five thousand people didn't wake up at wells fargo on the same morning and go hey here's an idea uh so i wanted to know okay what's really going on here these people didn't set out to become corrupt horrible people they woke up that morning or the morning that these things happened and got out of bed the same way they always do but so what was the slippery slope what happened that encouraged people to make choices that if you had asked them years before, they would tell you, I'd never do that. And that's what we learned.
0: Wow. So how long a period of time have you conducted this study over?
1: Is it 15 years? So it was
0: 15 years of data. So
1: that's when we collected it under, we spent about a year and a half, two years examining it and churning it and modeling it and playing with it. Uh, and then about a
0: year and a half to write the book. Wow. Wow. So extensive, extensive research, a topic that is important to every organization, whether you're a mom or pop shop with five or 10 team members, or whether you're an organization with, with thousands of team members, if this topic isn't important and we don't want to make sure, uh, how, how not to go down that, that road of failure, of dishonesty, of ethics, violations, of stealing, of cheating, of those things. Um, wow. So I'm ready to dive in. So go yeah. well, you. And know, you know, Danny,
1: there's even better news. <clears throat> Scandal avoidance is not a good reason to do this. If that's all you're worried about is keeping your name out of a headline, don't waste your time. It's not a bad motivation, but there are better ones. Right. So what we now know from the research is that the highest performing companies, the highest margin products, the most lo- the, the, the greatest loyalty to brands, the most satisfied employees, the most uh the most committed and highest purpose-driven organizations are all the ones who are the most honest as defined by the factors we will talk about. So um, do it because you want to set the stage for the people in your organization to perform at their best and for your organization to compete in ways you never imagined. That's the reason to do it.
0: Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about why we lead directly translates into how we lead. Yeah. Yep. And, and the why you just talked about I got to believe for all of the great leaders out there, those are the motivating factors about why they lead and people who struggle and organizations who struggle. I think we need to come back to that. Why, why are we leading and rebalance and reset? Sure. And there's some yep. great metrics there. So let's, let's dive in, Ron. Let's dive in. Do you want to start by saying what the the four categories and the four things that key factors you found are, and then we'll go through them one at a time. Is that yeah. okay? So Yep. We
1: found four conditions under which, uh, could, could reasonably predict if you are setting mistakes for people to be honest, as the defi- honesty defined as truth, telling the truth, justice, doing the right and fair thing, and purpose, serving a greater good. In other words, say the right thing, do the right thing, and say and do the right thing for the right reason. The first was honesty and identity, being who you say you are. You know, we all have words on our walls, missions, visions, purpose, statements, values. We all have these language that says, this is who we are. The problem is we don't always act as if those words are true and when there is misalignment between who you say you are and what you do you are three times more likely to have people lie cheat and steal and if if you are who you say you are if your actions and words match um you are now three times more likely to have people tell the truth do the right thing and serve a greater good Uh, accountability Uh, if your accountability processes are seen as fair meaning i believe you have accurately honored and talked about my contributions, you are four times more likely to have people tell the truth, do the right thing, and serve a greater good. Uh, governance. The way you make decisions. If the way you make decisions in the room is uh, has, is under guarded by transparent information, and there is open-spirited debate versus collusion in the hallway and head nodding in the room, you're three and a half times more likely to have people tell the truth, do the right thing and serve a greater good. And the last one, which was probably the biggest surprise is border wars, cross-functional cohesion, right? We all know that we have a they, you know, the sales versus marketing and operations versus supply chain, Uh, the cops versus the prosecutors. Right. Um, but, but when you fragment your organization, now you have dueling truths, right? But if you have a cohesive organization, in other words, when those seams are stitched, you are six times more likely to have people tell the truth, do the right thing and serve a greater good. And you know, for, for the cash, the crews and the car, the good news is that the statistical models are cumulative. Meaning if you do all four of those things well, you are 16 times more likely to have your organization behave the way you want them to tell you the truth when it's hard and serve the purpose you set out to, to serve. But when you don't do all of them well, now you're 16, 16 times more
0: likely to be uh, become a headline story in your worst nightmare. Wow, very powerful. So let's dive in. Let's talk more about honesty and identity. Mm-hmm. We all s- say things about ourselves, right? Whether you're an individual or a leader,
1: you have a set of values you pr- proclaim to live by. You, you, you promise things to consumers or customers uh, about who what they can expect from you and sure every day we're going to fall short but if you are not rigorously monitoring the any gaps especially systemic gaps between what the words say and what the what your behavior says um you're you're, you're creating risk right so because when you've done that now you have institutionalized duplicity you have said to your employees, in our company, we say one thing but do another. And what you've done now done is given them all permission to do the same. It has nothing to do with just just being true about, no one's going to say, oh, we're only hypocritical when it comes to our mission. But with everything else, we're actually, we're actually aligned. No. Once you have set the stage for misaligned words and actions, um, you now have said to everybody, that's how things work around here. So our words don't have to match our actions. Well, now you've, brought, you've let loose all kinds of problems. But, but the worst thing for an individual is now I, I go home feeling shame, right? I know I have not been true to myself. I know I have not lived up to the values I said I live up by. So now my own sense of purpose, my own sense of meaning is now being diminished by being in this environment.
0: Wow. So we talk about walking the talk, the, the alignment, right? The alignment of values. It's one of the big things in our creating a culture of leadership concept is for one, we got to know what we value, right? Uh, and, and value on a company. What do we value as an, as an organization? They're generally going to align pretty well with what we value leadership wise, right? But then how are we aligning those values with the people that we're onboarding? How are we setting the example? How are we being and living the example every day? And not just when it's easy. When especially it's when it's hard. hard. Especially when it's hard. Especially, especially when it's hard. Right. <coughs> Very interesting. So honesty and identity. If, if we are aligned with who we are and we are living as who we are each and every day, our organization is three times more likely to be founded in this truth, justice, and purpose. And you don't get, here's the hard part, you don't get credit for good intentions,
1: right? I don't think leaders wake up in the morning and just because on the wall of their lobby, it says we value respect, or we value diversity, or we value teamwork, or you know, pick, pick any of the common ones. I don't think they get go to work in the morning thinking, now how could I violate that value? What could I do to really look like a jerk? Because leaders intend in their minds to act in accordance with those values, that doesn't count. It only counts in the eyes of the beholder that they perceive you to actually be doing that. So when you violate that value, and you may not even know you did it, you may not even appreciate that your actions, your decisions, the way you allocate resources, the way you hire and fire, the way you conduct a meeting, you may not, you may not even understand the ways in which, in the eyes of your constituents, you are departing from what that value says. If you don't get that feedback, if you're not having honest conversations, if you're not bringing those statements into the room and saying to your team, Hey, how are we doing? Where are we living up to these promises? Where are we breaking these promises? Where am I breaking these promises? And have honest conversations about it. You cannot assume all is well with the world. You cannot assume that no news is good news. You have to assume, frankly, that there are just blind spots you're not seeing and there are ways you are violating those those promises that you just can't see.
0: Mm. Wow, hundred percent. So one of the things you talked about, you don't get credit for good intentions, and and one of my favorite sayings is that good intentions pave the road to hell. Yeah, um, you know we we don't get any credit for intentions. We talk about the eye of the beholder. As a leader, it's it's not fair, but we got to know and understand these things when we step into these positions. Our microphone is always on, and unfortunately it with, with a
1: with a with a bullhorn at the
0: end of it the bullhorn at the end of it and unfortunately and I heard you talk about this in one of the presentations that I that I'd watched you know it isn't just what you say it's your body language it's it's how you are acting it's how you're yeah. coming across it's it's not what you say it's how you say it it's the tone the inflection your eyes you know your hands your gestures it's all those things. And especially in in cultures where trust is low, people are looking for any reason not to believe. They're looking for for any flaw, anything to grab onto. And then you have people walking away, um, really drawing conclusions about these minor things that might not have any reality to them, but now they're reality to them. Yeah. So, so how do you confirmation bias is real?
1: If I've decided you are untrustworthy, then the only data I'm going to collect from your behavior is what already confirms what I believe. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to be able to see disconfirming data. And if you as a leader know that you're stepping into a low trust environment or worse that you've lost the trust of others, you have to go out of your way to create disconfirming moments to win back that trust and set the stage that people can actually see you as credible again. Um, It's not just a matter of time heals all wounds. In this case, it may not,
0: Um, or it may not heal
1: them in time to save your career. And so if you know you made a mess, you have to clean it up.
0: Yeah, you have to make those, those amends. I was talking to, to uh, a great guy, uh, Anthony uh, Amonitegi. Had to pull his name back, his last name back into my head. And, and one of the things that, that he does is he has weekly meetings with all of his leadership team, one-on-ones. And the purpose isn't really strategy or any of that. It's just to connect. Uh, on on a much greater level than just at work and these relationships and the importance. But the first thing he asks is, are there any charges between us? Is there anything you're carrying with you from something that I've done that maybe I knew or didn't know that I did? And they're just really upfront. And the levels of psychological safety you have to create within members of your team to create an environment like that. So somebody will be open and honest and transparent with you. Those are very high levels. And so the intentionality when you're Uh, honesty within your identity, but then creating the environment you talked about where people will give you honest feedback, where you're seeking out honest feedback. As the leader, don't wait for somebody to come and give you feedback. That's not good. You got to seek it out and it has to be genuine and authentic. And and you've got to be ready to take it because sometimes you hear things you weren't prepared for. But again, your microphone's always on. You can't necessarily show that You really got to want to make amends.
1: The minute minute you become defensive, um, you're you're just signaling to people that you didn't really mean it, right? Um, But that's a a great segue to the governance one, because part of governance transparency is cultivating spirited voices, cultivating a culture of dissent, making it okay um, to people to come in the room and disagree with your choices, to be part of a decision-making process that actually is transparent, where all the data and the dueling fact bases are on the table and in the room. And, and you have to understand that as a leader, it's not enough just to create a psychologically safe environment where people can speak their minds. Your job is to create the expectation that they actually do it, that especially if you're on a leadership team, you have to understand it's my job to speak up. It's my job to say what's uncomfortable. <clears throat> leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. If you're, if you're looking to make people happy and, and, make, and be popular and be liked, you probably shouldn't be leading. And so your your choice making apparatus, your governance processes has to include the ability to to, for people to bring their voice, all their voice um, and and freely dissent without any fear of your reactions or any fear of anybody's judgments. Um, And if they're not doing that, you should believe that they're doing it somewhere. You know, you may not be hearing it, but if you're not, you should really be curious about why, because it's not that they're not telling you something isn't random. There, there is something in the water, could be something you're putting in the water, that's telling them it is not safe here for you to say this. Um, it may be a reaction you had to some bad news five years ago. It didn't matter. The folklore sticks around. And so um, my, my simple standard to leaders is this. If you don't have people coming into your office two or three times a week, regularly saying things to you that make you uncomfortable, you can be very confident that your leadership sucks. It really is that simple. Wow. now you can be okay with that that's no judgment if you if your standard of leadership is low and things are working and you're not seeing any consequences just yet to your organization then you know you you're just you're playing with house money at some point the, the chips will be called in but that's that's your choice but don't assume uh, of course they tell me or I, I said I'm an open door or I'm an open book or you know I listen I I know my people and they know me and they can come to me If you're telling all those things in your head, um, but it's only happening once every three or four months, be be very curious about that gap, because that's not enough. You cannot tell me that things in your organization are going that well, that several times a week, there are not reasons to come into your office and tell you something that's hard to hear. And if you're telling yourself, my people are empowered, they're just fixing it, I don't have to know about it. That's really dangerous, because you should A, want to know what's going on, and B, If they're trying to clean it up before
0: you find out about it, that's even worse. So it sounds like within, I mean, within this segment, justice and accountability, communication, open, two-way, honest communication is essential. It it leads me to Brene Brown's quote, courage over comfort. Mm -hmm. The she said something that I thought was really powerful, and that's the expectation. That if they see something or if there's an issue, they say something, and and setting those the time to set that expectation isn't after a problem or an issue has occurred. The time is to to set those kind of expectations up front before beforehand. and as in, a normal it, as
1: a normal way to run your business.
0: And, and I and, and I want to make sure people listen and don't take that as like an expectation, as in like a power authority thing. No, that this is an expectation out of all of us. This is a positive thing, yeah. and it it is also empowering. And you know, it, it's it's funny. We want to give our team the the leeway and the freedom and the power to do their jobs. But when there are issues and problems, even if they're being solved, we want to know about them. Yeah. Now, as, as leaders, we have to have trust in the people on our teams to deal with them. And oftentimes, this has been a really tough thing to handle as a leader, not to, to keep my, mind, my mouth shut about it, but we always want to know what's going on, even if we can't act on it, because certain moments will allow us to act on it. So what I mean by that is somebody on your team comes to you, shares information with you. They don't want to be put out there that they came and shared this information with you, but it's better to know the information and not be able to act on it immediately and to find a way to be able to fix the issue than to never know the information at all.
1: Uh, Yeah. That's a hard one, Danny, because now we have collusion, right? Now we have that are from a governance point of view, you know, a transparency issue. Now you're making your own, your one of your primary forms of transparency, a colluding environment where we have third party Hearsay and all kinds of stuff, and that's a dangerous game to play. You know, especially when when your team comes into you and says, "Hey, I, I don't want to talk behind anybody's back, but i just could you just give me some coaching about Bill?" You know, now I'm trying to make it look above board. And I my coaching to executives is just nip it in the bud. Don't don't you know? No matter how sincere and genuine the person's struggle is, if their struggle is with somebody outside the room, get them in the room because I because doing the right thing for the wrong reason, getting the information a bad way, um, what are you gonna do with it? As a leader, there's no, you, you're You hamstrung. There's no way you can act upon that data without outing somebody or without corrupting the collusion. And so my advice to leaders is when Susie comes into your office to talk about Bill, say, hold on Susie, hey Bill, come on in here. I think you're gonna to wanna to hear this. And get Bill in the room and make her say it to Bill in front of you. Um, because, and if Bill's an idiot, then fire them. But but, but the minute you start training people to bring you information, um, now you're teaching them to be consigliaries, you're creating a very hub and spoke fragmented environment because because you've told your team, you have to talk to each other, just talk to me. Well, you've now trained them to think, "I'll, I'll do all the teamwork. It'll be a massive hub and spoke model here where I'm the hub and you just come be my spokes. So it's a dangerous, slippery slope to allow people to bring you information um, about somebody or about an issue for which you then have to go act upon it. Mm.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to think of like uh, exact situations because what you're saying, I 100% agree with. And most of the time, if somebody brings in an issue that's happening or an issue they have with somebody else, then I'm coaching them with how to have a proactive conversation yeah. with that other person. Um, and I wish I could have... and I'd say with an expectation that they go do it. Oh, 100%. Yeah right and i, I want to hear
1: tomorrow how it went
0: with the follow up yeah that, that that accountability and follow up isn't there it 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 never it never happens right.
1: no then it's a you know i give it some more thought you know what i th- it's not that big a deal
0: yeah but somebody coming in and and speaking to you with bad intentions honestly is the scenario that you presented to to allow those types of things to happen and continue that becomes very problematic. I, I actually think sometimes they
1: also come in with good intentions. I think when I come to my boss and say, you know, I'm, I'm just, I need some help. I'm really struggling with Bill. Um, I I, I want to work better with him. I'm just, you know, I, and and it's, but it's collusion, right? Now, if that leads to, a, I'm going to coach you how to go deal with Bill, right? And we never had this conversation, but, but I'm going to cone a silence here. And I'll prepare you to go have your conversation with Bill. But that's fine. But what that person really wants you to do is go deal with Bill, yeah. right? Their, their whole, I mean, they may be feeling helpless and frustrated and at their wits end with Bill and that's okay. Um, they probably have talked to two of the members of a team to make sure, don't you think Bill's a jerk? Or do you have, do you struggle with Bill too? You know, and again, probably well-intended, not trying to sort of throw Bill under the bus, but once they've done that, you've now said, we collude. That's what we do here. And until you can be sure People on your team's first instinct is to go to bail directly. The minute they have a concern. When that's what you've achieved, that you got the team you want. Until then, you got more work to do. Um, an occasional request for some coaching and help, fine. But until you can tell me your team you know, scrums with each other, just fine. Scrums with me, just fine. Scrums all together, just fine. And then go have a beer together. Um, you, you should, you should want more
0: for your team. And if you're leading an organization, you need more. And so you're talking, uh, you know, organizations that are performing at their highest levels, you know, and so I'm looking at it from an angle, a little bit with a few places that I'm working with right now about how do we get there? How do we build those competencies? How do we create that value? One of the things we did this early on when I was a police chief, Um, And it's continued now it's throughout the city is a solutions, not problems approach. Like you, you're not allowed to bring a problem. You have to bring a solution. If you're facing something that you're struggling with, you know, we'll coach and mentor and develop and really ask a lot of questions because the answer is generally within our team member or reframe and give people a little different way to look at it, but for them to go out and solve their problems, because one thing that happens with leaders is it's just what you were talking about is they become that central hub for all the issues and problems for them to solve and deal with, and the next thing you know, they're in the daily fires every day.
1: They become the they become the answer ATM.
0: Well, yeah, and, and we can't do that. When somebody walks in with a problem, they got to leave with that problem. But we want to equip them better to deal with it and handle the problem. And if that becomes a reoccurring thing, where somebody's popping in and doing this, you've really got you've really got to end that, and you've got to end that um, fairly quickly. And
1: I think part part of the, I mean, I think the creating ownership and other folks is always a great notion. I think sometimes we become so solution minded that we forget that, that you have to define the problem correctly. Right? So when, when Bill comes in and says, the problem is Susie's late to all the meetings and and I want her off my team, that the solution is let's replace her. Well, I brought you a solution. Do I know that that's the right problem? I don't know. Right. Tell me how you diagnose that. Tell me what else you've tried. And so I think um, the bring me an answer game can be a little bit tricky when you bring me an answer that's a bad answer because you did because you had a, because you asked the wrong question and so the whole solution focus versus problem focus is a great premise when you've taught people to do good problem solving when they have the skills to actually diagnose and define the right problem versus when they define the problem as a solution the problem is i need more budget well maybe maybe you wasted the money i gave you right so uh, I, I think, you know, my, my, my qualifier is always to people, to leaders who say, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions, is do they know how to do, have you taught them how to do problem solving so they can bring you the right solution? Because they're going to bring you answers you don't like. And then when you say no, 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 then, you, then you're playing bring me a rock, right? And everybody hates that game because it's never going to be the right rock. So now you've told people, I want you to bring me the answer that I th- that's in my head. And now they're all just trying to sort of read your mind and you've made them even less uh, empowered to solve the wrong problems because all they're doing is trying to guess what you're thinking. So it's always an interesting qualifier when you say "bring me solutions"
0: yeah. to make sure
1: that you're equipped them to do that.
0: It, it takes a it takes a leader who's a skilled coach, very skilled. It, it takes and, it takes, and, and it takes, patient and really patient. Yeah, and and the premise behind it is that you know people who see problems continue to see problem after problem after problem. And then that becomes complaining. And then that inserts negativity into the workforce. So we have to switch it around. And when we see a problem, instead of it generating a negative energy within us, it, seeing it as an opportunity to create a meaningful change, to see it as a challenge instead of a problem, and then to give people the skills and tools they need in those moments, in those teachable moments, right? Because it's great when they bring it to you. Because they don't, you're not going and speaking to them about a specific topic that all of a sudden they feel, "Am I in trouble for?" Right. And then you capture you capture those moments. But you know, being able to clearly identify that problem is a is is a big, big deal. And I, I see this a lot of times. I see it in strategy things, but I but I also see it in in a lot of people things. Right? There's this inherent fear of man worried that if I step up, if I say something, if I choose courage over comfort, that that's going to cost me in some sort of personal terms. I think this fear of man is one of the things that stops, you know, many leaders from stepping up and doing the right thing in the right moments, holding those lines of, of positive accountability. And it's really a destroyer of, of justice and accountability.
1: Yeah, it's, well, it's true. It really, it, I mean, you, you're our, we make our worst choices when we're fearful. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, let's transition to the accountability one. So, you know, when I, part of the challenge of my own fear is of being invisible, right? So it used to be that when our work performance management was simple, you committed to making X hundred numbers of these things, you you did more, you did less, you did what you said. The problem is today, today, our, our people's remit isn't a production number. Usually it's, it's really uh, an idea, an analysis, uh, a, cre- a, cre- a creative approach, an insight, um, an assessment. I mean, today more than ever, the contributor and the contrib- contribution are are fused. So when I, as a leader, am evaluating your work, which you know I can tell you it's not personal, but the reality is today it is, because when I evaluate your work, I'm evaluating you, and when you feel unseen and unknown, um. I can't hold you accountable. I can't tell you uh, where you fell short because now now I'm judging you in a way that feels unfair, right? Then worse, I have to write it down in a bunch of forms and boxes and sort of squish you into this set of categories. I I had a client, um, you know, show up for one of our regular coaching sessions and uh, we were on Zoom and I mean, he was red. And he starts, immediately starts him pounding his desk. She gave me a uh, three, a three. I've always been a four. In my last company, I was a five. But just because she has a quota of threes, of fours, I get a lower grade. Who got the fours? Like, he was irate. And I'm like, I would never seen this before. He was, a, you know, he was on path to be a successor to a big job. He was valued. And And after a while, I said, can you send me the appraisal? I want to read it. And I read it right in front of him. And it, it, I mean, yeah, the number was weird, but I get the, how those things work. But the, what she wrote about him was fair, it was glowing. The places where she talked about him falling short were things we talked about. He knew that he had to work on them. He was still the number one contender for the, the job of, and on track to get it within a year. But the category, so I, I, I wanted to understand what his reaction was. And it turns out our brains are wired to be triggered. With, when, we, when we are categorized, when we are labeled in a way we don't agree with, we are triggered. Our amygdala goes into hijack mode and we suddenly feel unsafe. We feel threatened. We feel invisible. We feel unknown. Um, and so our accountability systems have rendered, uh, you know, ha- have replaced dignity with, um, we, we tried to scale, the whole notion was we want to treat people equally, fairly. But what we ended up doing was assuming that treating them the same was treating them fairly. Well, n- now that our contributions are so uniquely tied to the contributor, there's no such thing as sameness anymore. Sameness is, sameness is actually unfair, which requires a leader to now step in and be a better leader and be a better coach and see you for who you are and uniquely treat your contributions and cultivate your talents in a way uh, that's different than anybody else. Di- accountability has got to now come to mean dignity. I treat you with the dignity you need to do your best work. Um, and we've got to put justice back into that accountability by making sure you have an equal chance of success. Most of us don't want to admit that there are implicit biases in our systems. Now just not just identity biases not just the racial identity or gender identity biases those are there, but role identity you know I'm sure that if you're in a police force, detectives are privileged over patrolmen, right? If you're in the DA's office, you know senior DAs are privileged over junior DAs. Um, if you're in a tech company, engineers are privileged. If you're in a branded company, mar- marketers are privileged. That's just how privilege works. Well, the problem is when those privileges create disadvantages for others, and they don't think they have an equal chance of success. Now I, I, I now I play the unfair card. And the minute you hear the words "that's not fair," you should, uh, you, uh, you should be on high alert. Cause what somebody's telling you is you owe me. I, I now feel entitled to get my pound of flesh or my share. So the longer the unfairness goes on, uh, the more likely that person is to, uh, to sort of ex- extrapolate what they feel is fair. So the, the challenge of accountability now is that you have got to reestablish a sense of dignity in your relationship with people. You've got to be able to see them for who they are and recognize, that their contribution uh, is, a, is, a, is a deep reflection of them as a contributor. It's not just, here's the work, and that's, a I, I evaluate that objectively separately from you because th- that, that
0: world's gone now. Mm. Wow, that we were talking, I think it was before we went on air about it, it's very dangerous when a person feels like the work they're doing is not being respected or acknowledged in the way they feel it should be. So, but it's but it's even more dangerous when they feel like the evaluation of their work is unfair. And I think you just did a good job of walking of walking through that. And so the, the job of, of leaders, and I've been in these situations where we're doing performance evaluations or having a conversation about something that maybe didn't go exactly the right way, of making sure... We separate any actions or behaviors from the value and the dignity and the respect of that individual, and you're driving home pretty significantly what that creates and what it causes and more internally what that's creating within people and I just I don't think a lot of leaders give that much thought you know I, Danny, I think
1: that leaders were trained in an era where Fairness meant um, sameness and sameness is not equality, right? But I, you know, I I can't have favoritism. I can't, uh, which is also unfair because I mean, not that you want to treat people with less respect, but not everybody's the same talent levels, right? You have people who are more talented than others. You can treat them all with the same regard and respect, but if your highest performers are getting treated the same as your lowest performers, why are they going to want to high perform anymore? So your ability to maintain your managerial judgment, to treat people according to what they're contributing, according to what they're capable of, without changing the level of respect or regard, you can still hold them in very high esteem and they should feel your esteem. They should feel your regard for them regardless of how you assess their contribution. But when it comes to assessing contribution, you have to do it honestly. Um, And that means not being afraid to say you fell short or here's how you're falling short or here's how you can do better. And creating and creating an environment where people want to come to you and say um how can i do better what can i do to learn yeah. you know people are hungry to excel don't don't not feed that hunger people people inherently want to be held accountable for their contributions uh, and their commitments and if you if you pull your punches or try and soft pedal it or try and make them okay when they fall short they're not going to learn from that failure so, you really, as a leader, you're, you're, your role in creating accountability is different than what you probably were trained was, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, when it was just, you know, document, have the session, make sure we don't get sued, you know, don't say anything that's going to, you know, be politically incorrect. And, you know, just, I mean, most of our performance management systems are just basically lawsuit avoidance. And, and also, accountability isn't an annual event right? Accountability can't be uh, just a documented part. Accountability is, a, is a, a regular, weekly, daily, monthly relationship. Before it's a conversation, it has to be a relationship.
0: No, it, you know, I tell you, Ron, and something to that, one of the things, and one of our big values, and we created with the police department, we revamped the performance evaluations, is somebody in a six-month evaluation shouldn't be seeing something, shouldn't be seeing anything, but especially a negative that they've never heard of before. Like they shouldn't be finding out at their performance evaluation that three months ago they did something that was below the standard. And then the second thing that we really worked on, and it, and it was good to teach during the time that we gave those evaluations out, um, is because we just don't prepare people well enough to have difficult conversations. We we see those as negative, And so what we really try to do is transition it from Look, if there's a performance issue, if there's a problem, it doesn't have to be a negative come at it from a position of a positive you care about them you want to see them grow you want to help them succeed you should be tied in to know what some of their goals are and what's important to them as an individual if we're doing our job the right way so that conversation now comes from a place of hey i'm really trying to help you here i care about you versus what it's traditionally been and what i've 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 seen coming up through my career that it's a negative you did wrong this shouldn't happen again Head on out, and 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 really changing and reshaping that, and, and our team and the people we're working with have seen one a dramatic improvement uh, in performance and people's relationships and people wanting to have that feedback, and then also a dramatic improvement in people's willingness and ability to have those more difficult conversations. We've taken them from what is a difficult conversation to what is now a caring and positive conversation. I think that's a really important thing that we get right because everything we do is interacting with human beings. And Maya Angelou said, they'll forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you made them feel. We've got to be very conscious about how we're making people feel um, in, in these kinds of situations. Yep. So, okay. So number one, honesty and identity, right? Number two, justice and accountability. Number three, transparency and decision-making.
1: Well, we covered that one before um, on the issue of Spirited Voices. Last one is unity across the organization. So, you know, we all have a they. We all have places in our organization where there's rivalries, where organizations compete, where regions compete, where people are vying for jobs. Um, And sometimes we assume that that, you know, I've, I've seen leaders play make them fight, just to sort of, they think in this Darwinian way of getting people to perform better. It's not healthy. Um, you know, there are the classic rivalries of you know, sales versus marketing. Um, there are supply chain versus operations, R&D versus manufacturing, HR versus everybody. <laughs> uh, so the problem is when, as a leader, you no longer have the luxury of seeing the world through the eyes of those functions right? You have to see your world through capabilities. So innovation is really about consumer insights, marketing, um, and product development. And those three functions have to come together and see each other as part of a whole in, in a city, right? uh, City government is no longer just, you know, three or four different departments. If you're, you're the city manager, you have to look at these things as a, as the ability to run the city efficiently or to run the city uh, safely. You know, your police, department and your court system or your police department and your, you know, building department where the, you know, you can't have them at war with each other. You know, sometimes those conflicts are just systemic, right? You have one department being measured against efficiency and one department being measured against productivity. So they're working at odds. Like so they, they can collaborate, but the ability to have a cohesive organization, the ability to work well across with your cross-functional partners, um, what was a huge factor in determining honesty, um, it was a, it was a, it was a, by, by a factor of six. So that tells me that people, you know, we're naturally tribal, inst- tribal, tribally instincted, right? We want to hunker down with our own group. And of course, when we hunker down with our own group, every other group becomes a they. And so ask yourself, who's your, they, who in your organization are the ones that when they come down the hall to a- ask for something, you're like, Ugh. um, who are the ones that when you go to ask for something, sort of stiff arm you, right? Where are the places where there are, are relationships? across borders within your system that you know need to do better because you're leaving there's a lot of ethical fungus growing in that in that crack and so the importance of creating a cohesive organization if you want people to feel part of a bigger story than just their own and feel part of a greater purpose you have to create one and if the story is fragmented by their own groups and the only loyalty they show is to their own team at the expense of others uh, you're setting the stage for having to play a lot of, play a lot of referee games. Um, and, uh, when, when, when and you'll know it most when your system is tested, when you have a, a challenge or a problem, when there's an economic setback, when there's a product problem, when there's a major customer issue and those people have to work together to coordinate and all you got is scarecrow arms, that's when you'll know your system was not as cohesive as it should be.
0: Yeah, This. This is a problem in so many organizations. I think of so many different examples, but I'll just talk about our, our city. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons that I end up transitioning becoming the city manager. We were we were so fragmented. It was us versus them, it was everybody versus city hall. Um it, it was all about me. It was, you know, the the, the police department was its own entity, the fire department, its own entity, and not in a bad way. They were doing great things, but there was no cohesiveness moving in a common direction to make Dixon a great place to live, to have high quality of life, to provide the highest level of services to our citizens. And, you know, this, we don't have enough time to go into some of what led to that. But one of the first things that I did when I became the city manager. Was in my office. I had a full wall mural painted. The city of Dixon on our main drag has an arch says Dixon on it. It's a it's a landmark feature, and so the artist uh, hand you know drew painted the arch. And underneath the arch is a squad car and a fire truck and a dump truck and a water tower. Every department is represented under that arch that says Dixon. And the message from the very beginning is we are one team our purpose is to serve Dixon and then to show and demonstrate to each department how each function does come together and where they come together. You know, when we have a hostage barricade situation, we need the street department to come and set our outer perimeter and get those barricades up and stop people from coming in. You know, when we have a a water leak on a main highway coming through town. We need our street department to come help, our water department. We need the police to come and direct traffic so we can get that fixed and restore that. And and really showing people how it all worked together was was just transformational. And 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 by no means I wanna be listening to this thinking that I did that myself. We put incredible leaders, revamped our entire leadership team, uh became about service instead of power, became about unity. Um and it It was just transformational. And now during COVID pandemic, where you talked about problems, stress, crisis, the way this team has pulled together to support each other and to support the community, to support our businesses has been nothing short of of phenomenal. So, uh, so much, so many great, so many great insights today. Is there anything else in the Unity, Ron, that, that you wanted to cover before we transition, maybe kind of to a call or action and to a recap?
1: I well, I think I think every leader has to sort of soul search and think about who have you othered?
0: You know, who have you
1: uh labeled as uncooperative, as a pain in my neck, as um, you know, working across purposes with me? And who's labeled you that way? And what did you do to contribute to that? Um and more deeply ask yourself, how have you justified that it's okay? How have you al- allowed that strain or that estrangement to be okay? Um, because you just have to accept the fact that fine, you want to be, you, you feel safer, you feel justified in your anger or your cold shoulder, or you're treating them as them, or, you know, the, or, you know we're the second class citizen and they get all the money, whatever. But just know that you are hurting your organization you're hurting your city just know your choice to stay estranged or to stay incoherent with a, an important colleague is your choice to put your own niche into um especially if you're on the if you're on the if you know you've been othered if you're a woman if you're a person of color and you know you've been othered by a white person if you know you could go to them and say here's how i'm being othered here's how i'm being i, I don't feel respect from you talk about it. Um, because any of those fragments in your organization, in your system, even if you're just one of them, um, you are contributing to the weakening of your organization's ability to perform. You may say you're okay with that. That's fine, but just be honest about it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll make one little tie into it, get your, get your feedback on it and then we'll, we'll go ahead and roll out. Um, so so this doesn't have anything to do with with the, the reference as far as you know how women are treated disparately or people of color. It's it's regards to that. When you talk about how am I othered, maybe there's a problem. One of the first things that it's an expectation. When our on our leadership team, when our people are are having an issue or there's a problem or they're feeling othered, if I'm understanding it the right way, the first question we ask ourselves is what part of the problem am I? Like if there's a problem, the first question we have to ask is what part of the problem am I? And until we've eliminated us and owned our part, we don't have the right to ask somebody to own their part and make those changes. And so as I'm, as I'm thinking about this and this conversation and, and how you've closed this and this call to action about who have you othered, it immediately transitioned into if there are issues, what part of the problem am I? And so a build on your call to action is if those things are there. You got to look inward. And if there there is a problem and you're a leader, and this is a leadership podcast, we want our team members to come to us and let us know if there are charges, if there are problems, but it is your duty and it is your job as a leader to be the one that proactively goes out to, to fix things. You know, as a leader, you've got to set your ego aside. Leadership isn't about being right. It isn't even about making the decisions because a lot of times, even when you're right, you got to fall on the sword, right? And a lot of times there's decisions that maybe you wanted to make, but you've created a team that, that you've empowered and you're listening to them and you go in their direction, you know? And so, so just, just a ton of important things. Again, you know, talking with Ron Carucci, did I say that right? You did. Yes. Yes. Um, On organizational honesty. You know, why some organizations fail while other organizations thrive. Ron has laid out the four key factors in his 15 years of research, honesty and identity, justice and accountability, transparency and decision-making, and unity across groups. Again, I do want to remind our listeners, I mean, Ron has- so much information, the depth here. We're scratching on the surface of the depth of information that he has brought um, you know, from this research and what he's brought into this podcast. And so if you're interested in learning more, which I know I am, I'm going to be ordering it as soon as this episode is is done being recorded. Uh, this episode will launch in a couple of weeks. His book to be released this spring, or available now on Amazon for pre-order, is to be honest, lead with the power of truth justice and purpose. Think about it. If you lead with the power of truth, justice, and purpose, it is going to set you, your team members, your organization on fire. You're going to do things you've never done before. Ron, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Danny, a pleasure. All the best to you as you continue your good work in Dixon.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please smash that subscribe button See so you know miss another episode. Consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps us grow more organically. And remember, Always be committed to excellence.